I was reading in Luke 6, and uh, Jesus is, he's talking about love your enemies and bless your enemies. Be gracious and lend and don't expect anything in return to you in the context of your enemies. Because your father himself is, un, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. First of all, that's, a, that's one of the, the statements in the Bible that just always blows my mind. Your father, he's kind. Just think about that. I mean, there's people diametrically opposed to God and he still feeds them. He still gives them, he, you know, there's blessings. Maybe, you know, they're, they're prosperous in their job or whatever. He's, he's merciful. And it's always on the end. And the reason we don't receive the salvation of God is because we're ungrateful or evil, you know. And, but also it's just thinking about the connection between ungratefulness and evil. I think there's a connection there. Like the, the more, because evil is usually birthed out of a, a lust for something, right? Like lust for uh, physical lust, financial lust, power lust. Evil is kind of birthed out of that. And it's because you think you don't have enough, right? Which is kind of like an attitude of ungratefulness. And that thanksgiving is opposite. Thanksgiving produces a righteousness. It produces a humility. It produces a, the ability to see what you do have instead of what you don't have. And evil is born out of that place of what we don't have. And it's like Psalm 37 says, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. So when we worry, when we're lusting, we get, we get anxious and we, we start grabbing things, that's when evil gets birthed, you know. Anyways, a little side note. Do we have that? So some of Travis's sermon today um, is going to have some things from this book that we listened to called Resilience by John Eldridge. Um, and I just was thinking about that too this morning with a testimony is Jesse Pilkington invited us to the downtown um, fundraising banquet this past year. And so we went and like to support Jesse, to see what's going on with what he's doing down there, to give financially to downtown. Like we just went to, we weren't, we weren't expecting a whole lot, right? It was a great banquet. They do a great job. But we got in line and this guy was, we actually got in line with the good ones. And then we decided we would race them to see if their line or this other line was moving faster. So we moved to this other line we were racing. Everything's competition, right? And so we, it's, everything's better if it's a competition, at least um, with the boys in my world. So we get in this other line and this guy comes up behind us who's super friendly and starts talking and telling us his story. And he just tells us that we need to read this book called Resilient by John Eldridge. And because um, we told him we were pastors and he was just like, you need to read this book called Resilience by John Eldridge. And you know, we just like didn't. And then one day I was like getting ready for work and I was like, I'm gonna read that book. 
like that guy said, I would have never known this book existed. Anyway, I just love the heart of God for us because those little things are not accidental in our life. Like, and they're not accidental when you're the guy in the line or when you're the Jessica in the line, when you're the receiver like I was, or you're the giver of the, the nugget, you know? And so I listened to this book and I was like, Travis, you've got to listen to this book. And then I was like, you got to listen to it now because I need to listen to it again. <laughs> so he listened to the book and then now he's reading it and I'm listening to it again. But it has been very impactful for us. Um, and I just love how God is like in his fathering um, like with my kids, we were saying the other day, you just want to kiss people when they like reinforce your parenting. Like when, you know, somebody walks up to one of my, when Luke is over here with Josiah, like telling him things that maybe we've said before, but it just sounds different coming from someone who doesn't wear the title of mom or dad. Like we're just like, yes, thank you, Luke. You know, or, we're, or Alexa at the horse barn is like, you know, encouraging Zuri to overcome a fear, to not be so hard on herself. Like, I love you. And I felt that heart of God as I was thinking about, I was praying for Travis this morning as he was going to preach, and I knew some things were coming out of that book, and I was just feeling like, God was like, yeah, I just want to kiss that guy because he just was trying to tell you the same thing that's in my heart, you know, like, I want to encourage you, I want to bless you, so. Yeah, so I am, there's some stuff that I've, I've taken from that book that I'm sharing this morning. And uh, a part of it, it, it's, when I started reading it, it started fitting in with what like God was speaking to me already. Because about a month ago, for like three days, I kept hearing the Holy Spirit saying, Father, I desire. Father, I desire. Father, he just kept repeating it over and over. And when I, you know, I knew that was in John 17 somewhere and I looked it up and this is Jesus, you know, in his prayer to the father before he's going to the cross. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. So that's desire number one. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. We, have, we are with Jesus through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So we, get, we, we have that. Jesus is with us. And there's a greater measure of oneness that Jesus wants. Where everything, it's, so when I, part of me when I read this, Jesus is longing for that day when he can literally come up and, and give us the hug. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's right here. And we're, there's, there's been times where I just, be, I would say, Jesus, I wish I could just hug you right now. I just want to like lay my head on your shoulder and rest. And I feel like Jesus is longing for that. He says that's, that's his desire. That's his longing. So he wants us to be with him where he is. He can't wait to restore all things. He can't wait to make all things new. He can't wait to vanquish evil and establish righteousness 
justice and, and truth. You know, if Psalm 45 says, gird your sword on your thigh, mighty one, for the cause of truth, righteousness, and meekness. So he's, lo- he's longing to do those things. Secondly, he says that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. The glory that Jesus is talking about is that glory that he had before the foundation of the world with the Father that was in, that was in Eden, that was on the Mount of Transfiguration, that is in Revelation chapter 1 where his eyes are like fire and he's got the white garments, the sash of bronze, hair like wool. He, that's his glory. And he, long, and he longs for us to see that his glory. And so Jesus is, he's longing for that day when, when all the obstacles, all the filters, all the sin, all the stuff that gets in the way is permanently eliminated. And so I just kept meditating that. I was like, and so I, I was praying in that. I was like, oh, Jesus, I want to be with you where you are. Show me your glory. And, and so when you think about it, you think about the glory of God and you think about that there's other, everything has been given a measure of glory. David even said that he had some glory. Like he's, he's like, you, you exalt my glory or you, you've given me my glory. And he's talking about his personal glory. So you think about there's a glory associated with like Michael Jordan, right? Because he was probably the best to ever play basketball. There's, there's a measure of glory with him. There's a, when you look at a redwood tree, there's like a measure of glory where you're like in awe and wonder. You watch Michael Jordan play basketball, there's, you're left in awe and wonder. You look at, you go, to the, you go to the beach and you just look out on the horizon and you're like, I'm only looking at, what, what is it, nine miles of the horizon? And it looks so huge. It's the measure of glory, the night sky, the stars, all of that. And so the glory that Jesus carries is the same glory that the Father carries as creator, which is linked to him being his Father. So the glory that Jesus came is the glory to create. It's the glory to make new. It's the, it's the glory to restore. It's the glory to resurrect. Because that's the glory that he had in Eden. That's the glory he had before the mission of the world. Because the first, God starts off in Genesis as creator. So he creates things. You know, where, where we feel dry, he, he creates. He creates life. So he creates life. He makes things new. He, he restores the things that, are, that have been lost. And so you, uh, you have Exodus 33. Moses talking with the Lord. God says to Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? 
Is it not by go, your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The people of God are distinguished by the presence of God on their life, by the glory of God on their life. The Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I'll show compassion. I just want to pray for us right now. Lord, we ask that you would show us your glory. Lord, we want to be marked by your glory, marked by your presence, that we would be distinguished from all the people of the earth, that they would know that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I pray you mark us, God, as a people. Father, we pray, show us your glory in Jesus' name. And so we have a, uh, but we do have a dual citizenship. We live in two realities. We're in, we're in the world and we're also in the spirit. So like I mentioned before, we're seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places, but yet we're still living in this world and we're, we're still dealing with sin that pops up in our life. We're still dealing with fallenness and brokenness. And these two realities overlap each other, though. It's uh, because a lot of t- our, our Greek mindset separates spirit from physical. The Jewish mindset didn't think that way. That's why heaven is not us dancing on clouds with harps. That's a Greek mindset. The Jewish mindset about heaven was a kingdom coming to earth where there would be no sin, there would be righteousness, that the, you know, the, the seed of David would be ruling. And so you have that in the millennium and then you have that after the millennium when the new Jerusalem comes down and the city of God comes to earth. There's a river, there's garments and it's like we're eating, we're, we're, we're at the supper table of the lamb. So it's the spiritual and the physical are, are not separate. When Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, he was walking through walls and he was also eating fish. So they, the spiritual and the physical overlap. And he walked on water. He was a physical body, but he was walking. He was breaking the laws of nature because they're his laws. He's like, I could, I could do what I want. You know, so, so you have these two realities that overlap each other. So when we dance and we sing, you may not feel like singing or dancing, but what it does is it kind of activates your spirit. Same thing with when you view God's glory in creation. I know like Chris loves to hike. I'm sure part of that reason is because you feel the presence of God when you're out there, you know, and you see the glory of God in his, in his creation. And then the physical and spiritual overlap when we pray, just like we talked about this morning, miracles happen in the physical, right? 
So these, these, this dual citizenship is like this overlapping citizenship. It's these two realities that overlap. But then there's, and this is what John Eldridge calls desolation, which I think is a, a good word to use. John 10, 10, we've all heard, probably heard this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and give it abundantly. And so when you think about a thief, a thief does not take something that is his. He's violating something. He's violating someone's rights. He owns nothing and he's taking what, his, what is not his. And so this is actually, when somebody is taking what is not theirs, that's in a nutshell the definition of injustice. So the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy and it leaves desolated places in our heart. You think about Gideon, and in his day, they would harvest everything, they'd do all the work, they'd grow all the crops, they'd harvest everything, and then you'd have these foreign invaders come in and just sweep the heart, they just would steal everything, all their hard work. And that's what the devil does. You've, you've sown and you've worked, and then you feel like the fruit's right there, and then he comes in and you feel like he steals fruit out of your life, he steals abundance out of your life and he, and he does try to do that and so this when he comes in and he, and he steals there's can feel like abandoned places desolate places in our heart and when you drive you know you can drive through a county county and you drive through some of these country roads and you see these old barn houses or old houses that nobody's lived in and, and they can, they were not abandoned probably when they were in the shape that they're in right now. But have, how many of y'all have ever noticed that when you leave a house, it starts deteriorating quickly? Even like Sadie Fatman, if we left, if, we, if uh, Clint left Creed alone for five years, this thing would start breaking down faster than, it, than normal. I don't know what the dynamic is, but that's what, that's what happens. So abandoned places start falling apart. And that's the, obviously that's the devil's scheme, right? In our hearts. So you go to the book of Daniel and, and Daniel prophesies about the Antichrist as the one who makes desolate. One way to think about the Antichrist is he's Satan's sock puppet, like Satan's literally putting his hand inside a guy and like using him. He's Satan's sock puppet. So this is this will actually there is going to be not to get too far off track, but there is going to be a literal a, a third temple that's built. There's actually a Jewish institute of the third temple where they're they're pretty close to building a third temple. And when the Antichrist comes, he's going to invade Jerusalem. There's so many scriptures, Zechariah, Ezekiel. Israel is kind of going to get kicked out of their homeland. And there'll be some people remaining, but there's going to be a lot of refugees from Israel kind of fleeing to the desert where the original exodus was. It's just kind of interesting the way God works. So he's going to create the, you know, leave the temple desolate. And uh, so there is going to be a third temple 
But the New Testament also talks about that we're the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, the Antichrist is, is literally going to do make desolate the third temple. But Satan's already trying to make the temple of God desolate, his people. And so he comes, he steals, kills, and destroys, trying to make our hearts desolate, ruined only with smoke rising from the temple of our hearts instead of fresh fire. He wants to turn our hearts into a wasteland. And when our, when our hearts are in that desolate, abandoned place, we end up wasting our lives, just kind of seeking worldly comforts, numbing ourselves, just trying to make it through life. And that is the, the lowest of what, what God has for us. So when I talk about Eden glory, so if the devil wants to come in and, and make desolate, God wants to come in and restore, right? And what is, what is Jesus? I mean, he's, he's called the second Adam because what? He's going to restore us back to that Eden place, walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, unhindered fellowship. He's restoring that. He's restoring the earth back to this place where we're, we're actually going to farm and not have thorns and thistles and, and not sweat while we're working. Can, can y'all imagine that? You're not going to sweat while, you, while we work. There's not going to be weeds. My garden, you can barely see my okra plants. I'm just going to confess right now, all right? They, they, got, they got weeds in there. And so, and it's a job. It's a job to just keep it down. And so, Eden is the opposite of a wasteland. You have a lush, flourishing, abundant, overflowing, fruitful garden. In the wasteland, there's lack, there's scarcity and deprivation, and, but the Eden glory is available to this. And this is what Jesus is talking. He says, I want them to see my glory. I want them, I want them, my glory to be imparted to them. We can't. We can't make the waste places abundant again by more hustle. You hear a lot about entrepreneurs and you know self-made millionaires, and, and they talk they talk about the hustle and the grind. And there is an aspect of working hard and being diligent, but that's but who knows what the I know a lot of people who work hustle and grind and they're millionaires and uh, their families in shambles. I mean, I see it. I'm, I have, I know people, right? And so what is going to last forever? What's good in God's sight? What's what you're passing on to your children? I never met my, my father's father. I never met Pappy Gay. He died before I was born. He left a legacy that has impacted me. Like I, the stories and the way people talk about Pappy and, and the reverence and the admiration that they have for him is something that's lasted far beyond his lifetime. It has nothing to do with the, the fact that he was a farmer in South Georgia who didn't have much, but they had all they needed. 
all the stories of, of you know, the kindness and the goodness that he expressed in his life has impacted me. So you go to the miracle of Cana. John 2, 11, it says that the beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this is when Jesus turned the, the jars of, they called jars, but they're really each, it was like three big barrels, but they were stone, 60 gallons each, 180 gallons of wine, of the best wine. The G, that was his first miracle. And so what is that communicating? Jesus' very first miracle is communicating that where there's scarcity, where there's lack, God comes in abundance. And he not only comes in abundance, but he comes right with the best. So God has supernatural power to overcome shortage and deprivation. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How was Christ raised from the dead? Through the glory of the Father. How are we going to be raised back from the dead? Through the glory of the Father. Acts chapter 3 says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until, until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets. So it, Again, Acts 3 is saying that Jesus, he came and heaven received him until the period of the restoration of all things. Everybody say restoration, restoration. He's coming to restore things. He's coming to restore you. He's coming to restore me. And not just until that day, but right now, he wants to restore us through his glory. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. The NIV calls this glory to glory, calls it ever-increasing glory. We're being transformed with ever-increasing glory. We're being transformed into the image of, of Christ, and the glory of God is the manifest presence of Jesus. So you, you hear talking about the glory of God. You can think about it in a, another way as the manifest presence of Jesus. This is how, so we were created by the glory of God. So we are meant to be filled with the glory of God. So if we're, we're created by the glory of God, we're meant to be filled with the glory of God. So as I mentioned before, we're the, temp we're the temple of God here on earth. In 
And just like the Old Testament temple, we're meant to be filled. Second Kings, First uh, Kings, chapter eight says it happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Psalm 29, 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. Somebody say glory. So now we come back to the beginning. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. You know, whenever we're meant for God's glory, we're meant for his presence. If Jessica and I, if our marriage was just talking on the phone and then I, I never saw her. I never got to hug her. I never got to talk to her. I never got to uh, feel her touch. Then it would be a less than ideal relationship. <laughs> Any relationships based on that. Like when I'm about to start coaching basketball again. One of the things I'm going to be doing with my guys, when they come in for every practice, is they have to dab me up. So, Luke, come on right here. <laughs> so we're coming around, it's like, what's up, man? So they're going to have to dab me up, yeah. We're going to have a little handshake or something. But they have to dab me up. Why am I doing that? It's because I, I want to touch them. I leap Jesus. I want to touch them. But the affection... Just that simple, it's a connection point, right? And so it's important that they know that I care. And so much is expressed. I, I do this all the time. Like even with my clients, I'm just, they have a, a good workout. I make sure I'm, I don't just, I'm better at patting them on the back and giving affection actually than like words of affirmation. And so that's, that's what I do a lot. I was like, I'll tell them, hey, good workout today, man. And but I just believe that those things are, are powerful. I believe, so I say that to say is we, we're meant to feel the affections of God. We're meant to feel the glory and, and be filled with his glory and not be separated from him. So one thing I want to do is uh, just kind of lead us in a glory encounter. And so this is a prayer from the book Resilient by John Eldridge. And I just, I want us, we'll read this together. Okay. All right, so let's do it this way. I want you just to close your eyes. I'm going to read this prayer over you, and then we'll read it together. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I receive your glory into my being. I receive the glory that fills the oceans, the glory that sustains the sun. I receive the glory that raised Christ from the dead. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am your temple, Lord. Come and fill your temple with your glory. 
I also pray that your Eden glory would shield me against all forms of desolation coming over my life. I renounce every agreement I've made with desolation, every agreement, large and small. I choose you, God. I renounce the falling away, and I choose you. Regardless of how I feel, I choose you, Lord. You are my God and Savior. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my life, restoring me, renewing me, granting me supernatural endurance and resilience. I also invoke your Eden glory over my life as a shield, over my household and domain. I declare your abundance in every area of my life and invoke your glory, love, and kingdom as my constant strength and shield. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ruler of heaven and earth, thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so now let's just read that together. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I receive your glory into my being. I receive the glory that fills the oceans, the glory that sustains the sun. I receive the glory that raised Christ from the dead. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am your temple, Lord. Come and fill your temple with your glory. I also pray that your Eden glory would shield me against all forms of desolation coming over my life. I renounce every agreement I have made with desolation, every agreement, large and small. I choose you, God. I renounce the falling away and I choose you. Regardless of how I feel, I choose you, Lord. You are my God and Savior. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my life, restoring me, renewing me, granting me supernatural endurance and resilience. I also invoke your Eden glory over my life as a shield, over my household and domain. I declare your abundance in every area of my life and invoke your glory, love, and kingdom as my constant strength and shield. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ruler of heaven and earth, thank you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, Well, that's all I've got for this morning, but bless you guys. We love you all. Thank you for those words, Chris. Those were good, really good words. And uh, we love you all. I think we can visit for a little bit before we go get the kids. And um, we'll let y'all know when I go get them, but we can hang out for a little bit.